part of it too is like you're not allowed to block any part of the user experience behind login. There's like oh, there's mm-hmm. these like similar kinds of ideas, right? And it, and we would just like point them to Hearthstone and be like. Yep. Which so, they gave editors choice and featured yeah. for like weeks. Yeah, right? yeah we're like, we're like, so, we're like we, we mimicked their login flow. Yeah. So. <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 421 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and my brain is a puddle. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life business, and working in the games industry. Today's June 22nd, 20 Jubilee. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, whose recurring donations help to keep us motivated to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, the best kind of feedback is money. Straight up cash. As they say. Cold, hard cash. Uh, so we've been just blazing forward on Crash Ins 2 stuff. We've been uh, watching the, the wish lists come in, which has been great. Um, we've been adding all kinds of features over the past couple of weeks, working on our tools. Lots of stuff happening, but we don't, we don't need to get into the weeds nah. on all that. It's mostly, it's mostly the kind of stuff that we've talked about 347 times before. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so we're just going to get into questions. We got, uh, we got five questions lo- locked and loaded and we're, cl- we're going to get through all of them because Whoa. we always do. We Bold. always, we never fail. Aim for the sky. Get, yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. And the highest upvoted question comes from Fly Hoppy Axe Rompa, who says, Seth, <clears throat> are you still using VS Code? Though, so, yeah. Still? Yeah. Is this a reference to some prior discussion? Well, so we have talked. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of a recap of mm-hmm. of what one of our big studio projects is. Uh, so you know, we've been using Game Maker as our development engine to make games for ten, yeah, twelve. Since the dawn of I've, time. I've been using it since two thousand ten, um, and Game Maker has this interesting kind of a kind of a paradox to it. You know, which is it's incredibly easy to sort of learn how to program in it and make games in it and stuff. Um, and it has lots of great uh, drag and drop features and things that are good for people who don't know how to code to, to make games. Um, and also the programming language itself allows you to do just kind of a... Kind of whatever. Kind know? of whatever you want. Um, you can even make 3D games in it, even though it's technically like mostly for 2D mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but there's this kind of... a uh, uh, issue where there's you have access to all this low level code where you can do anything, but you also kind of have to use the code to do a lot of things. So, if you want to, for example, like make a really nice interface, um, there's no like built in out of the box, just like easy check boxes and buttons you could click to like make an, an interface for your game or, or whatever. Um, and so, it as we've gotten you know deeper into using Game Maker, you know, it, it just became pure code. We, we don't use very many aspects of the actual, like, uh, IDE, the, the development software. Yeah. Much of which um, is built around the concept of rooms and a room editor, which is almost like a level. Um, and since we don't use that thing, then most of the like, additional new functionality and stuff and ease of use tools are things that we just don't use. Yeah, make sense so like 90, 99% of, of our time spent using GameMaker is just programming, using the code aspect of it. Um, 
And then the, and that, that's been, they, they've been making tons of improvements to that side of things for, for a long time. Um, but there's one thing that it doesn't have, which is GitHub Copilot, <laughs> which is the robot assistant that helps you write your code, uh, which you can just get as a, a VS code extension. It's just a thing you can just sign up for if you have a GitHub account <laughs> and you download this extension for VS code, which is another code editor and then suddenly you have this magic robot who lives in your in your editor and you can you can do stuff like just write a comment to be like i want to sort this uh list and then it'll just be like and it just spits out a line of code that does the thing that you Mm -hmm. type right so i heard a a a phrase as this stuff was kind of coming about um which is that the the new best programming language is english right (laughs) (laughs) which Which, you know, substitute your own personal language here, right? But like, well, except if, that these tools are all being made by primarily English speakers. I was to say, yeah, yeah. They, sets, they are so. they are expanding though. Yeah. They're, they're expanding, but it is it is actually true time. that you can't easily just hop to like Spanish or some other language, right? And get the same outcomes since these tools aren't nearly as good. And, trained on English, right? right? They're trained on primarily English. Yeah, and so anybody who has written code before knows that um, there, there is there's a lot of boilerplate kind of stuff. So if you want to just like loop through uh, a list of things and do stuff to each element in the list, like there's a specific format of like how you write that code and it's kind of redundant. Like you have to write it the same way every time and you know, all that stuff. So these like these robot assistants do a great job of just taking care of all that boilerplate. And then you can kind of come back and like review what it wrote. And sometimes they'll write like 30, 40 lines at once. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) it's pretty crazy. Uh, But that kind of stuff is not integrated into Game Maker. And so so we kind of took this as a challenge of how do we use VS Code to edit our Game Maker projects? Mm -hmm. Um, Because also Game Maker has its own language that is not commonly used anywhere except in Game Maker, right? So it so it looks like JavaScript. It looks like some other programming languages. Yeah, it's like a JavaScript right. C hybrid kind of a thing. But yeah. yeah. So so uh, and also like Copilot and these kinds of things are they're trained up on popular uh, programming languages, which they can help with a lot. But if they don't know the programming language you're using, then it has to just guess, right? Which it does pretty good at. Um, but the ultimate issue is that. Uh, is that Game Maker just has a lot of it has a lot of specifics about its programming language, about its project structure, all this stuff, and so it wasn't really feasible for us to work on our games outside of the Game Maker editor until Adam came in and was like, "I'm gonna solve this problem." Mm-hmm. So, uh, Adam, if you want to talk about kind of like what that actually means yeah. to work on, well, this is something that I'd been wanting to do for quite some time as. I think Seth and Sam could attest um, because I've been using so VS Code is short for Visual Studio Code. It's it's Microsoft's free code editor, open source, which is somehow way way better than the one that isn't. Free, yeah, Visual Studio you know? is like their flagship <laughs> product, right? Which is confusing because it's called Visual Studio instead of Visual Studio Code, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. classic Microsoft naming techniques. And if you're not a programmer. So you don't even know what kind of we're talking about. It's sort of equivalent of, you know, if you wanted to write a document, you'd open, say, like, you know, Word, Google Docs or Word yeah. and not Notepad, right? Yeah, because like, Notepad doesn't have bold in it, for example. Yeah, right? or it like. It doesn't have anything. Or anything yeah, yeah, dropping images in or whatever else. So it's the same idea, but for code stuff. Yeah, so a code so. editor can do all kinds of stuff, right? It'll, so the the base thing that it should do is give you what we call syntax highlighting, which basically color codes the different kinds of 
parts of the language so that it's easier for you to look at and tell what the hell's going on, right? Um, and then it can do any number of things beyond that. So something like Visual Studio, not Visual Studio Code, is like designed. It's like, again, it's, it's this enormous product. It's it's meant for like uh, large scale institutions who are writing like C++ and like all this kind of stuff, right? And then via Visual Studio Code, VS Code, is originally was for web development. It was kind of its like mm. thing. And that's still what it's like largely like the, the core team that does stuff is really focused on the web ecosystem. Um, but because they have a really nice open API in an extensions market where you can make your own extensions and publish them and stuff, right? Then anybody anywhere can say, I want these other features to also exist mm-hmm. in this code editor, right? Um, so I've been using VS Code for a long time. I've been using it since GitHub Copilot. Like right when GitHub Copilot was announced, I like was already signed up and got into the beta and I was using that for like six months before it was even public. You know, like so I've just been using all this stuff constantly. I've been getting to kind of see all the really cool features roll out into VS Code because Microsoft has really just put a lot of support behind it. So there's like rolling out such nice features. I've just gotten used to just like having such nice features as an editing experience for code you know like it's handling so much stuff for me that i don't have to think very much about navigating the code base figuring out where things are right it's just i if i know what i want to do i could just go do it right and so then every time i flip over to game maker studio uh then which doesn't have a huge swath of those really nice developer features but in particular the robot that just can give you fancy the robot that writes your code for you (laughs) (laughs) in particular, but even just like easy navigation around the code base and stuff. Right. So every time I bounce over there to try to do some stuff, it would just be this like cognitive load nightmare where I just like, it took so much mental effort to to like figure out what I was trying to do. And I would go try to write some code and I would just find myself pausing, waiting for the robot to complete the thought that I had because I knew what I wanted. I just didn't want to type it. And I knew that the robot knew what I wanted and would type it for me. But then nothing happened because the robot's not there, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> so I lost this symbiotic relationship, and so every time I came back into, so so basically for like the past, I want to say year and a half, I've gone on these like periodic sort of side project efforts, like over a few weekends or evenings and stuff, to try to figure out how to bring Game Maker editing into VS Code, so I can now have all these features that I like, you know. And it yeah, wasn't again, until you, Game Maker language is not it's not used outside of Game Maker. So like yeah, that's where there it isn't is. so VS Code doesn't know anything about it. There's not really yep. any plugins around. I mean, there, there's a couple. There's old a, there was a few that community people- extensions, yeah. But but a lot of the community extension stuff too is like it's like focused on community development, right? And so so the the most popular extension that was out there before I jumped in, um, which I'd also then been using, basically just provided highlighted code support. And that was more or less it. Right. Um, but it was like, it was a hell of a lot better than just looking at like a document. That's just all one color. (laughs) So, so still very helpful. Uh, but a lot of what it was trying to do, and and you'll see this actually with the game maker community in general is that the game maker community has like gone through these phases of game maker versions. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's always been like free components and there's always, there's this like pool. There's like a huge pool of people who are like still on these like very legacy versions of game maker. A lot of it's understandable. It's what they're comfortable with. They don't want to spend the money on the new ones, you know, like it all makes sense. But I think in a lot of ways, the community stuff is held back by everyone's efforts to try to support these old ass yeah. versions of really game maker, right? yeah. like really old versions. Like, cause so, so like even this extension, this, that was there around, 
supported like down to Game Maker Eight and like so much of the work that I did. Like, Game Maker Eight was like fucking two thousands, I think, right? Like yeah, yeah the Game Maker Eight Point One was the one that I started on in, in, in October of two thousand ten. Yeah, so, yeah. so like. <laughs> Yeah, and in the software world, like shit moves really fast, so that's old, you know. Uh, it's, it's the Windows XP of yeah, of, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so I think I think a lot of the public tooling out there that, that the community is making, which is all, it's just very cool. There's like some very deep experts in these topics who are making cool stuff, you know. But I think they're just kind of hamstringing themselves, at least to some extent, by trying to support so much rather than just like the newest stuff, you know. Um, so anyway, so, so I had the various times where I tried to like make this, make some progress on this, but it wasn't until Seth got to really like sit down and use VS Code for a side project and work with the robot and work with the navigation features that make VS Code just really pleasant to work in, where then he came back just after like a weekend to, to GameMaker, the GameMaker editor, and was just what like, the hell is oh this? no, yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't. And then like I was this. doing that thing where I would start to write some code, and then I would wait, wait for yep. the robot to finish, and then <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh right, I have to, I have to do brain, and then I would go and look around and try to figure out what I needed to. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, then we're like, like, you, okay. you don't know, you don't know what's possible until you've experienced yeah, you it, and experience then you're like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> yep, yep. yep. And so, so once Seth had it, because I also like, I, you know, I was doing this as a side project because I don't normally spend my time on Game Maker, so because I'm usually writing web related code right and so i didn't strictly need it so i was just doing it for fun um or trying to figure out how to do it for fun but then as soon as seth was like i think i need this i was like yes now i can pull the trigger on <laughs> like yeah. investing the studio time to figuring out how to make this possible right so um so so now we have an extension called stitch uh, which if you if you open up vs code and then search your little extensions sidebar uh, just search for Stitch or search for Game Maker. It's you know it'll come up in the kinds of searches you would do, and uh, and it does a pretty good job. There's there's some there's some current jank. Like I'm on the, I'm this like this final stretch of jank that by the time this podcast goes live, sh- sure as shit better have been resolved. <laughs> it's like that final piece, you know. But it's like it's really come along, and it's and it's and it's actually it's actually good. Um, but as Seth can also attest, there's there's jank right that makes it. It yeah, turns out making a whole last uh, editor experience for code is enormously challenging along a lot of dimensions. And, and, I, and that's despite the fact that I'm leveraging VS Code and all of its APIs um, that I just have to hook into, right? Mm-hmm. But but the underlying thing of like writing code that fully understands all the stuff in the project and how it all interacts with it, each other, right? And then surfaces that. And then makes it so Wild. that as you're editing things and updating things, that I can then also update the model of all of that and all those relationships without linkages breaking and without excess stuff still being there when it doesn't exist anymore. Like all the or just hang yeah. time, you know, like checking, like yeah, that the robot goes, yeah, there's too much. There's just a lot. Yeah, there's yeah, just a, a lot. Yeah, there's like hundreds of thousands of variables and functions and yeah, uh, objects and assets and sprites, you know. And like being able to yeah, write questions to project that, like is huge. It's huge. And like as I, as I start to write, you know, this thing needs to be able to identify, you know, what it is that I'm writing and whether or not that, you know, I'm like using a function that already exists or if I'm like writing a variable name with a typo, which means it has to know about all of the possible variables that I could yep. be using and it has, it has to be instant. Yep. Uh, and then if, as soon as I, as soon as I write a new function or make a new thing, then every other place in the project has to know about that, right? And so there's this like, it's just a huge um, information and optimization 
handling problem. Uh, that's just, I'm, yeah. I'm very impressed. It's very recursive. The short answer, though, is that yes, you are still using. Right. The short I'm, answer is I'm, I'm using it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and well, there's an interesting kind of like caveat to it, which is that yeah, you're using it um, like part time currently. Yeah, I'm using it part time because, in a weird way, it's it's very much like an all or nothing kind of thing. Where um, I'll, I'll I'll start off the day using it, and then at some point, because it's still under development, right? At some point, I'll run into some aspect of it where I'm like, oh yeah, like this is actually really hard to do right now. Yeah, Whether some jank or like, missing feature. Yeah. yeah, like oh, I wanted to like search for a thing in the asset tree, or oh, I, I tried to search for this kind of a variable, but it turns out that that's one specific kind of thing isn't being tracked by the extension and I, and I can't find it. So, you know, uh, and then it's like, I tell Adam about it. And then two hours later, he's like, all right, that's fixed now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the meantime, I got to pop back over to the game maker IDE and go back and work on it there. So, but it's, it's, it's reaching a point where, you know, more and more of each day I'm able to stay in VS code for longer. Um, which means that I can find more issues, Mm -hmm. <laughs> report those. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so it's, and, and this was, this was kind of the, uh, the hesitation we had as well to, to work on this thing was that if you don't, you know, fully recreate the feature set of the game maker ID, then if you're working in VS code at some point, yeah. you're going to hit something you can't do and you got to go back to game maker. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're getting to the point where those, those cases are becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. Um, but yeah, if, if you are, if you are working in game maker, um, I definitely check out the, the stitch VS code extension because oh, yeah. it's, yeah, by the, by the time this goes live, it should be in a really, a really good spot. Um, it's like, I did, I made a whole bunch of fixes yesterday, but it's, but, and I published a bunch of them. So it's already like dramatically dejankified compared to where it was just even a day ago. But there's this one fucking thing that I just like haven't been able to figure out why it's behaving in this. I guess this recursion problem. I just haven't been able to figure out like why it's behaving that way. And in the process, the process of like trying to de fix it, you know, I ended up in this weirder case where now like a bunch of new surprises are happening. So mm. I'm, I'm kind of like off on this branch over here, just like just flopping, just around. trying to figure out what the <laughs> fuck is going on, you know. But as soon it's, as can, I know, there's like some underlying thing I did dumb, right? Some like low level yep, part yep. of the logic. That if I can just figure out what it is, it's going to suddenly like oh, suddenly the whole thing is going to just work. It's kind of like where it's at right now. You know? Yeah. You got like a you got like a loose screw in, in the engine. And so the whole car yep. is shaking, you yeah. know, and it's like it's just probably one thing. Yeah. But it could know. be anywhere, you know, so it's just it could be anywhere. For it. It's just <laughs> a fucking uh, puzzle. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's been it's been a fun ride, though. Um, and, and also, I know that that you know we've been hearing from uh, announcements from the uh, the game maker development team that they're also working on a whole bunch of total like rebuilds of the game maker code editor and all that stuff so you know who knows like may maybe they'll come out with something that actually turns out to you know supersede the feature set that Adam's working on in VS code I but will it have a robot who writes your code for you? No. That's, that's the question. Yeah. If it, it does it, it basically doesn't matter is the problem. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, that's the, that's the, the killer app. Yeah, that was our strategic yeah. bet on this. Which is like, it basically doesn't matter the extent to which GameMaker updates the IDE on their own. Uh, if they don't, if they don't put that robot in there, yeah. then. Because then the reality is like, and I've seen this already where, you know, Seth went to go write some test cases while in VS Code for, I think it was like a, maybe like a UI thing or something. Or something where it's just like, you needed probably like what you thought, I think it was maybe six or eight of these tests to make sure something was going to be No, happening. it was, it was a, it was code to determine the intersection of yeah. lines and line segments. Yes. Oh, yes. Because we found one. Like some 
Yeah, we found one like dumb error with it, basically with some pathfinding or something. It's set this like up. It's essentially if you had two lines that both had zero length, yes. then it you didn't know what points, to do. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. If, you, if, if the start and end of the line are the same spot, then they, it doesn't have a slope, right? Yep. And yeah. then slope what do you do? Right? Defined, I guess. So, yeah. so, so you know, just essentially it was in VS Code and just wrote like this comment of these tests, and then the fucking yeah, robot. the comment was just, "I need some tests." Yeah, the robot spit out like <laughs> like thirty of them, it's, and I was like, "Oh my yeah, god!" Because you know, because to to test line intersections, you need to cr- you need to essentially encode write out a bunch of combinations of lines exactly. and different it's like orientations. A bullshit problem, right? And I was like, "Yeah, yep. instead of having to think about all of it and then also manually type all of it, since was just like, "Hey, I just need some of these tests for this thing," and it's like, "I got you." <laughs> you know, it's like an hour of time, and like, it is particularly good. At writing tests, and actually to the point where I had this really spooky. Everyone's like in a spooky, you know, interaction with it, where it does more than it seems like it should be able to. You know? <laughs> so, because I knew it was, it was, I was writing test cases for for this uh, game maker language parser, which is you know, it's just a recursive, you know, nightmare situation, right? And it has, and the code that I wrote has an output data structure, right? But that that data structure isn't like in the code, right? It's just something right. you infer would come out of the code, right? Mm. Um, so I needed some test cases with some where I could then pass, basically pass a piece of text in that was code, right? And then it would parse it and t- convert it into a data structure. But again, that data structure only now lives in memory, right? It doesn't live in the code. There's nothing for the robot to so look it's, at. So it's kind of like a different, or an analogy would be like uh, looking at a, an automobile factory, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well, there is no car. Yeah. But you can, but you can see the thing, the things that are going to make the car. Right. But you don't actually have a car right So you now infer what the car the must look like, right? And by looking at all the machines and stuff. And then yeah. right, and then I started, I was like, so I needed my test cases, right? So I was like, I was like, okay, here's a, here's a piece of code and as a, as, a, as text, you know, so call my parse function, you know, hold on to that result. And I'm getting ready to write my tests now. And I'm like, oh, this is going to suck because it's like this deep nested data structure thing, you know? And then it just started spitting out, you know, because it, it does it like in like ghost text. You can just like hit tab to say, yes, I want this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was already to start typing and all of a sudden like the ghost text appears. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is correct actually, you know? Um, and so I just hit tab, you know, to complete it. And the next line comes up and it infers like the next level deeper, you know? And it got down to like five levels deep in this data structure that again, didn't exist anywhere. It just, right? it just figured out yep. that that's what was yeah, going to And come it found out. like every combination <laughs> of like things that I needed. So it ended, up, it ended up being about like, I think it was a 30 different test assertions about the shape of this data. Fantastic. That again, but it, but it just doesn't live instantly. anywhere in the code, right? And it yeah. was all, it was what I would have written, right? But it would have taken all day. But it would have taken so long because I'd, I'd be like <laughs> bouncing back and forth between like the data structure in my brain and then like the thing and then- tr- It's just you know, tedious shit. It's like, just tedious shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it has been the case for me that with with Copilot, um, I mean, easily I'm, I'm getting, I'm spending far more of my time deciding what I want to do and far less of my time doing it, right? Worrying about the details. Yeah, because yeah. – and, and even when I do worry about the details, I don't have to make my hands move to put make the, put the details in place, right? So I'm, I'm mostly like planning code and then reading code, right? Um, and it is still the case that like it's not good enough that it's literally writing all the code for me, right? So I'm still, I'm still writing – 
30 to 50% of the code itself, right? But most of what I'm doing really is just like writing enough code that the robot can see what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and then accurately infer what I'm trying to do and then just kind of do the rest. It's kind of like when you see a dad and a son on, and the son is on a bike with training wheels, you know, and then the dad like gets him started and let's go, pushes him and (laughs) then he starts going, right? It's like you're the co pilot is the little, is the kid in the scenario, right? You just, you just got to get him enough speed. That they can start oh pedaling God, on their good. own, <laughs> yep. which yeah. is way, you know, it's way easier than like riding the bike yourself. You just stand there and like give a little push, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, it's, yeah, long story short, it's like having these robot tools is extremely valuable and saves so much time and cognitive yeah. load. And, and so we need it. And it's, we're, it's yeah, I mean, as Seth said, like it's possible that Game Maker will at some point, I, I would bet if it, if it happens, it won't be for a year plus, you know, but at some point. They may actually just do some integration of these tools, right, into their system. But like, we're not. It, we can only hope that we can then stop supporting this thing that we're building and just go do use what they're using, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we also have to recognize that like Game Maker as a product is is uh, probably mostly aimed at non-programmers. It has all these drag and drop features and stuff like that. And so, you know, we recognize that the priority for them to make these like really advanced code features is is further down on the list than it Mm -hmm. is for us, right? And so it's like, okay, that's fine. Like we can still use the the runner, use the engine, all that stuff. And we'll just edit the code and somewhere else. And And it's still a fantastic engine. So Yeah. And if they use their interfaces to make it really easy to manage some asset thing that we don't want to fuck with and whatever, we'll switch over to to Gamer to use it. So the idea is not to completely replace the IDE or the game maker tooling, right? It's basically to say, we want the best possible coding experience that we can get because that's what most of our time is, is just planning and then writing and then reading code, right? And that should be a really, really good experience. And so with the tooling that VS Code has just built into that editor that we can hook into, and then with robots like Copilot, mm-hmm. like that's how we get that. And so it's worth the investment and it's and it's worth, you know, Seth spending this like the morning using it, putting up with some jank while we figure things out, right. reporting bugs, then switching back off for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> like as we as we kind of figure it all out. Um, so yeah, even with the jank, it's still it's still great. Yeah, so, I, I recommend uh, giving it a try and seeing how it works. The and again, the, the main caveat is that we're building this to support us. what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. So, uh, so inevitably, at some point, someone will come in and be like, "Oh, hey, like this doesn't support my." two-year-old version of game maker which isn't that old right but we're but not, too bad get on we're not, you know, we're not join us in the future old. yeah exactly so <laughs> so we won't so like I, we won't be because like also the thing is it's not even a matter of like oh if they because it's open source so like a person could fork it add their own support for something and then ask for us to merge it back in right and my i think my policy is going to be anything that is for old versions of game maker i'm going to say no to because yeah. those things have to be maintained it's once they're in the code base right yep so uh, the idea no, is, yeah, exactly. The idea is that this should behave like the Game Maker IDE itself, in the sense of like the Game Maker IDE just converts old projects into the new format if it needs to or whatever, right? Which we won't be doing probably, but but it does that. It doesn't say like, oh yeah, you can use this editor to just edit projects from six years ago exactly the same way you're editing them, then, right? Like. There's a reason you don't do that. And it's because maintaining such a thing is the biggest nightmare in the universe. Yep. And eventually all you're doing Strength is innovation. 
as main All editing. supporting legacy shit. Exactly, yeah. rather than All actually adding cool new stuff. Yeah. We've been through our own journey with that, which we can talk about another time. Uh, yep. Uh, well, let's let's get on to the next question from Bupanoidly Rolipa, oh. who says, how does Netflix games work? Is it similar to services like Apple Arcade and Google Play Pass? Are you considering putting the original Crashlands or any of your other games on there? Or would that depend on how Crashlands 2 performs? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So because Netflix game service is newer, than, uh, there's still a bit of confusion about how it actually works when we say something like, oh, yeah, it's going to be on, on Netflix, for example. So, so what it means is that actually you'll get the game still through the usual means. In other words, at the end of the day, you're going to download it from Google Play or from the App Store because that's actually that's just where the data for the builds is stored, etc. Right. So the, yeah. the difference in flow is basically that um, most people who get the game would basically the way you do it is you're, you're already logged into Netflix on your phone, or your tablet, or whatever, and then you can see games listed within that application within the Netflix application. And you'd find yeah, if you open it on your mobile device, if you just like scroll down mm-hmm. a little bit on the home page, I think there's also a games uh, like a games tab, tab yeah. across the bottom. Yeah. Well, so the difference yeah. is if, if you're on iOS, this might be part of the confusion because uh, you cannot see those things on the iOS version of the yeah. Netflix app because you're not the allowed to is, have a store as an app, and that now yes. counts as a store. Right. So yeah, even linking if for Netflix to link to the games that's in their portfolio from inside their app, Apple considers that to be like a store, well, not, I think. So I think they've, they've managed to, I think, again, because Apple's sort of teetering on this edge of their monopoly problem, right? Which yeah. is that they've, they're behaving so strictly with regards to their storefront that there's been enough. I mean, everyone's seen this with the epic battles and stuff like that. With regard uh, to games, most more specifically. Yes, with regard to games. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, a lot of developers have had, you see like Roblox pivoting to the idea that what they're doing is selling ex- experiences, <laughs> On, within mm-hmm. the Roblox mm-hmm. application, not could, other games. Could be anything. It's just could be anything. Experience. Um, <laughs> and so this basic problem is that uh, it's basically you have this this monopoly behavior happening uh, primarily on like the Apple side of things, which they've, they've, this is not news. They've been doing this forever, um, where it makes it very hard if you're trying to do to run a subscription service yourself under those services. So whereas with Apple Arcade, uh, you're going to see, you're going to like go to the Arcade tab and then you just hit get. Right, and you get it because that is yeah, the same yeah, thing as the store. Yeah, on the Netflix one, there's essentially just a, a layer of um, an intermediate as far as finding the games, which is you do it through the Netflix app. So even if you are on iOS, you can search for a game and it'll still show up. Right, you'll still see them there, but you won't see them on the store. The app store. Yeah, they can't yeah. just like show them on the browsing section. So uh, all you do is you just click on that, and that actually just takes you to. It's a deep link. It just takes you to the store. So either the App Store or Google Play for that game, and then you hit get. You get it. And then when you boot the game up, it just uh, uses your Netflix login credentials, which you probably already are logged in because you just got there from the Netflix app. And then now you're playing the game, right? And they got they got the usual kind of uh, almost like a, the SDK stuff. So you're logged in with your Netflix thing. You can have gamer handles, uh, like cloud saves. They have all that stuff. And they're always adding more all the time. So it works basically. It's it's essentially the same as what you'd see from uh, you know Google Play Pass or Apple Arcade. Yeah, I would say it's, it's most similar app. Yeah, I would say it's most similar to Play Pass, like experientially, right? In the sense that like Play Pass is like a sep- – there's a separate thing you can go look at that's Play Pass, right? right? 
But what you do in that thing is you're shown games that are in Play Pass, but when you click on them, it goes to its regular Play Store page. Yes. And it's just kind of flagged as like, oh, this is a Play Pass game. It's a really similar idea to that. So so what you'll see, I I assume, is that also Crashlands 2 will instead of being under like the Butterscotch publisher, it'll be under the Netflix. Yes. Yeah, it'll be under the Netflix publisher. Yeah. And so it'll be part of like their publisher collection of games. And like Sam said, you basically would just like download it. And then if you are already logged into Netflix, you'll just Just also already be logged in the game, which is Mm going to be really slick. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's, yeah. If if you, if you used any other kind of subscription service to play games, whether it's Xbox uh, Game Pass or Google Play Pass or Apple Arcade, like any of those things, it's not really going to work any different. From mm-hmm. from what you're used to, yeah. So um, as far as like, it, it is on. I guess that's the clarifying point is it is on Android and iOS, right? Yeah, like it's it's on those platforms. You get it through those storefronts the same way you ended up would. It's just that the entry point probably is one layer higher, which is like through the Netflix app for most people who are finding. Yeah, it. and even if it's not, if you just find it, because you will, they should show up at searches in the stores yep. and stuff yeah, the same it. way any other app would. Um, so the only difference there is that when you boot it up, you would just be faced with a. Netflix login screen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the only difference, right? Yep. Pretty pretty straightforward. And I think one of the interesting things that we've kind of seen in this space over the years is, um, like Sam was saying, kind of that, that difference between how these things, it's like slight difference between how these things work on Google Play versus Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been lots of like legal fights and pressure to try to like get Apple to be more lenient toward, you know, something like this where, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I totally understand why I, we even saw some, some comments from like when we launched the game where people are like, Netflix has games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Cause like if you're on, if, especially if you're on iOS and like, I was confused because like on my Android device, I've been seeing on the Netflix app forever. There's like yes, a game. feels like button. forever. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty I, obvious. I think that, right. That's and part I was like, of how do people not know this? You know? Yeah. I guess part of the thing that leads to confusion, right? Cause you have these two very large audiences. I mean, like the total Netflix subscriber base is like 220 million people. Right? It's, it's, it's big. It's humongous. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not, it's like at that scale, you're going to have representation pretty well, like sort of market distribution wise for Android and iOS devices, right? So it's going to be like, it's like half and half. It's like oh, half and half. half. So yeah. you have a group of people who can, who anytime they open the Netflix app for the past like year has probably been seeing the games. And then you have mm-hmm. the other group who has not been seeing the games. You're sort of at a baseline. And so, yeah, having this thing where it's like, what? What do you mean there's games? People be like, what do you mean there's not games? What, like, how do you oh, not know that? Yeah, it's sort of yeah, because because nobody knows like the the legal stuff going on in the background where you know Apple has certain terms of mm-hmm. of how you can portray these things and and Google doesn't have those same yeah. restrictions. It, well, right? yeah, so, it does. It's just less restrictive, right? Because they still yeah. have policies right. about because uh, one of the things that that like Apple claims its main reason, though I'm pretty sure. That's not true, but the claim their main reason is they're trying to avoid store manipulation by people using like one app to make it so that they're sending traffic to other apps and somehow unfairly manipulating yeah. things in the background. Right? And I don't, I don't buy that as the claim, but uh, but there's definitely a piece of that. And I think mm-hmm. like if you're looking at the policies that like Google Play has about how you display this stuff, it does seem like mostly those concerns on the Google Play side are oriented around that of like. Yeah. Sure, you're allowed to have a store within the store, right? But uh, you have to be really careful about how all of it works um, so that – Yeah, and I do remember actually we ran into problems where like um, in the earlier days, we wanted to cross-link our games 
yeah. on iOS. We, yep. Like we wanted to link people from Quadrupus Rampage to Talified and Flop, you know, and that stuff. And we we weren't allowed to do that because of their record. Well, we were about- we were allowed to. We just not the original way we did it because the original way we did it included an in-game reward of some sort. If you yes. remember, oh yeah, yeah, it was cross-promotion thing. a cross. You would you would get like a couple doubloons in yeah. Quadrupus. Or yeah. So it was basically yeah. we could tell people about it. We just couldn't incentivize them to go visit right, the store page because that, that was where then the market manipulation sort of concept. Yeah, came into they play. called it unfair manipulation of app store rankings. I yep. believe was the, the that's term. right. Um, yeah, so you know, there's there's just there's a lot of and and those those guidelines and terms for all the stores they they shift monthly, you know, in the slightest ways, and, and so like over and the course not of ten years, enforced, you know, so yeah, because um, yeah, it's still people evaluating the apps at the end of the day whether an app meets yeah. the guidelines, and so that's always one of our frustrations a, too, as a, as a smaller player in the space compared to you know some of the juggernauts, you know, because I remember in the earlier days of of I think of B Scotch ID. Yeah. Um, we had a hell of a time. It would be like every fourth submission or something like that to, yep, to the app store. Like, no. The review would be like, you're not allowed to do this. You know, just like have, like, have a login. Have a login and stuff. And then we would, our response is always basically just, uh, or the end of part of it too is like, you're not allowed to block any part of the user experience behind login. There are like, oh, there's mm-hmm. these like similar kinds of ideas, right? And, and we would just like point them to Hearthstone and be like, yep. Which so, they gave editors choice and featured yeah. for like weeks. Yeah, right? yeah we're like, we're like, so, we're like we, we mimicked their login flow. Yeah. So. And that yeah. was actually how, that was always <laughs> the way we got back out of it when they kicked us out of the, yeah. of the thing was basically just say like, hey, here's your hypocrisy on display. Now let us through. Right. And they're like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, it's, it's inconsistent, right? Because like it's a huge organization and the guidelines are not strict, there's no, there's no obvious like. There's room for uh, interpretation. This, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's always room for interpretation, and and you know we we've run into things like, oh yeah, like the this this icon is like three percent too small, rejected, or yep. and not not even just Apple, but like in other other things we've submitted to, like oh yeah, you had a line break in the text here, and there shouldn't be one, rejected, right? So it's all kinds of stuff like that, um, and then you know at the same time you'll see just absolute bug ridden stuff just sail through no mm-hmm. problem you know so it's again it's it's not it's not consistent but um uh, and they like these and these are the kinds of things that now you know uh that like i'm sure behind the scenes like netflix is probably talking to Apple oh, yeah. and google I just all day like this you know duking out crazy. figuring out how to get their get this thing off the ground yeah. so yeah we've uh, seen lots but, of these over the years too like different th- third parties trying to build subscription services or or collections of games with cross promo features and stuff mm-hmm. on the platforms. And, and it's always run into these, just like these policy issues and, and players mostly weren't big enough to really like force the issue. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you, you have though in Netflix um, and, the, and also Epic, which was trying to do some other stuff, but yeah, some Roblox, I mean, you got like all the, there's all these yeah. big entities that are kind of, they're doing. Yeah. They're finally like big stuff. enough that they yeah. can make enough well, noise against these trillion dollar companies, you yeah. know, that, uh, that things have, have changed enough that we can then have these kinds of cool. Yeah. And things. it's, it's kind of weird too, if you think about like how, how arbitrarily the, the lines are drawn. Cause if you kind of think about it, like it's. If you think about uh, these app stores like a shopping mall, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they own the space and anybody who wants to operate in that space is going to have to essentially, you know, pay the middleman. You got to pay your rent and 
and there's like maintenance fees and whatever else, right? And then like the, the mall will have rules about what you can and can't do on their premises, mm-hmm. right? Like you probably can't set up a giant display that blocks foot traffic mm-hmm. in the hallway. Certain you know, kinds of shops stuff. aren't allowed. You know, can't be just yep. like selling, I don't know, illicit yep. black market goods. Guns, yeah, you can't you, know. you can't put up your yeah your gun store and your porn shop and mm-hmm. you know your liquor store and all that stuff right but you can have a chocolate store like so they, yeah. they have all these rules right um, and if you want to operate in their space you you got to follow the rules right and I think the digital space is is like an, an interesting one because nothing is real like everything's everything is. Uh, you can, you can it's all arbitrary yeah. you can kind of fudge things around mm-hmm. so for example like you can't you can't have a uh, an app store you right. Like you can't make your own app store and then publish that on the app store uh, because they're like, well, like we're the ones who has the app store, right? But you can you can publish a game that has a store in it that sells cosmetics and mm-hmm. coins and all kinds of other stuff. You can have a store in your app. You can have a store in your app, but you but can't an app have an app store in the app store, yeah. you know? And so it's like – it's it's a it's a strange <laughs> distinction yeah. to be like you can you can sell these kinds of things in your game or in your app, but you can't sell these other kinds of things. But that's just what it is, you know? and they're they're the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you want to if you want it to change, you got to talk to them, right? So uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, all right, next question comes from Ticklesaurus Rex. Ooh, that's which good. I can't imagine works that well because you know short arms and stuff. Well, are you tickling really the T Rex or is it tickling you? You know. Well, it's the it's the tickle Saurus Rex, so I'm assuming that the Rex is, that is the is the tickler. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's uh, the that's a variant that has really long fingers, still short arms, but just yeah. real. And long I assume fingers. feathers because oh, I mean, yeah. come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, all right, Ticklesaurus Rex says, Hello, bros. At long last, Crashlands 2 has been revealed. Just wanted to know what your plans are in regard to revealing content about Crashlands 2 over time. Will you feed us snippets of goodies along the way until launch? Also, will crafting depend on tools or uh, these can be leveled up the more you use them? Thanks, bros. Longtime fan. Cool. I'm talk about the tools. I can talk about the tools thing first. Yeah, that's a quick one. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so in the first game, you had very specific tools. So you had like a saw. And then once you have the saw, then any time you click on a thing that you the saw, saw that can now. be used for, it would just go into your hand and, and you would hit it. Um, so although that is um, quick and simple and easy mm-hmm. from a from a gameplay pers- perspective, it's also very constrained, right? Because it's like that, that model means that every thing that you have can only be used for one thing, mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's always going to be used in the same way where like if you have a saw, it's going to chop one thing at a time and all it's going to do is chop things. Um, there's no, And there's also and, no better way to wield it, which is one of the things we we're trying to crack, right? Which is like, can you can we shift this design a little bit so that you could have a better swing? You know what I mean? Like you have somehow chosen yeah. to swing better. With yeah, this. or they're like finding a, finding a particular pattern or, or like – situation like a, of like resource arrangement of resources like oh this is really good for this particular saw that i have exactly. uh as opposed to just like click on one click on the other click on the other click on the other and then move on right so uh so we have we have tools in the game that are used for you know chopping plants or mining or whatever um and they do we do have like higher versions of them that do a better job at that and have like slightly larger areas and stuff. Um, but they're used in a little bit of a different way with a lot more uh, possibilities for 
for flexible things to happen. So the big difference is that they have telegraphs. So if you played the first game, you know that the telegraph system was kind of like, uh, which is something that we, I think we, we ripped it from Wildstar, yeah. which came out like around that time. It's just like, like we a, actually didn't have it projected on the ground showing you where damage will appear. Yeah. And we didn't have that, I think in the first like six months of the first Crashlands development. And then, and like, we found that that combat was just like too, it was too hard to figure out like what, where to go to avoid stuff. And if you we, played, you if know, you played Don't Starve, you know, this problem, which yeah. is that, um, Animations that are fun typically have a hard time accurately matching where they're going to hit. And then you have to, and this is, it can be and part of the fun for people. Also. Yeah, it can be part of the fun for people of like learning, like yeah, learning, you know, combat, knowing kind of exactly how far something hits, whatever else. But it also is deeply frustrating uh, to not yeah, be able to die. Tell. And then you're like, how was I supposed to know? Especially when death <laughs> is extremely punishing, like in, in the case of Starve. Yeah. yeah. So we we're really yeah. trying to solve that problem, particularly, which is like, okay, we want to be able to do whatever animations we want. Uh, and potentially have different interesting attack patterns appear, but not have to blend those, not have to force those together in a way that then also creates this kind of obfuscation where you can't quite tell where the edge is, and you got to. Well, and the and the art demands are really high if you if you have to like yes. make a custom animation that exactly map, maps onto every attack pattern, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so we we had that telegraph system in the first game, but that was mostly about um, like things hitting you. Like you're, uh, yeah, like you're avoiding these telegraphs that are coming at you and you would sometimes have like a gadget or something that would like make like a circular telegraph and hit, like set things on fire or something. But, but mostly it was the stuff that you had was like single targeted where you would just pick a thing and use your weapon or tool on that thing. And you didn't have quite as many like telegraph or area based things. So, so at Crashlands 2, we're like, well, we want to switch that focus so that if you have, if you have telegraphs for most of your things, then that actually creates interesting positional situations. Mm -hmm. So if you have a certain shape to your like mining pick swing area or a certain shape to the, the area that your uh, machete hits for chopping plants or something, then if you see a few plants that are kind of like in a little cluster, uh, then that's way more exciting than a single plant off on its own because you can get over there and like arrange yourself to try to catch all the plants in the telegraph. Right? You can actually have these like, it's essentially skill-based like amplification of that system, right? You could you can learn how to position yourself around things. You can get excited about the positioning of elements in the world as opposed to just being like, yeah, there's another one. Man, there's another yeah. one. Yeah, and so so the the tools then in Crashlands to follow, follow that pattern, but also we don't have the concept of like there's a a dedicated slot for your saw and a dedicated slot for your fishing pole. And, you know, instead we just have a a toolbar which has four slots in it, and then we're we have a, a variety of tools, including things like harvest bombs and stuff like that, mm -hmm. which we consider tools because you use them to harvest in the same way that you harvest with a, a plant chopper, right? Um, and so, so we're, you know, part of it is, is upgrading those, those over time and like building better versions of the same tool. And then also another part of it is discovering more specialized tools or consumable items that you could choose that, to use. Yeah. You can like slot those into your toolbar instead. So, um, it, it's, it's interesting because it's like, a it's not as, I mean, that was going to sound kind of like kind of negative, but it's not as brain dead. As yeah, the yeah. initial, as the as the original mechanics were like, literally all you did was click a thing and then no thought. Now it's more like you can, you you know, you, you can, can get better results yeah. by thinking more about yeah. what it is that you're going to do, right? 
But you can opt so, into it. And it's, that's, part, that's part of the idea of what we're trying to do with Crescent's too. also, the idea of sort of progressive difficulty enhancement, you know, mm-hmm. right? Where it's the idea of, we want it so that you can have a fairly, because the way that I like to play games is the brain dead way, where it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm, that's why I like first person shooters, you know, it's just like shoot something. I, d- I did it now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we want to make room for people to engage with crashes too at a wide scale of sort of depth of interaction and still have the t- the good time that they want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to make it so that you can still re- recapture what Crashlands felt like to play with its general simplicity, right? Um, and approachability, but then also be able to push that a lot Way further deeper. for people who are yeah. into that. Yep. Yeah. And, and we're also kind of, um, you know, we're still, we're still iterating through all this stuff. Right. And so I mean, we have a long time to go. So don't, don't also take any change. of this, yeah. don't take any of this stuff as locked in. Um, but our, our plan with the like equipment and weapons as well is, is kind of actually similar to what we've done with the world, which is, uh, in the first game, the stats and everything on, on all of your equipment was fully randomized. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the world itself was also randomized. And so, you know, we'd like to think that, oh yeah, every playthrough is different, right? Because like, it's not, it's not that yeah. different. Experientially, right? <laughs> like, not yeah, two different yeah. random outcomes are not necessarily experientially different, just because yeah. they're so, technically different. Uh, it's like as an example, like if you craft a, a sword at level three and it has a poison proc on it, so sometimes when you swing, it'll poison things. Um, you don't know that when you build your next sword, it's also going to have a poison proc. It might have lightning or fire or something, which means that just because you got this poison sword doesn't mean you can go out of your way to do stuff to like become a poison-based character. Yeah. Because you can't basically next- choose a play style experience and build around it super meaningfully. Yeah, you can because, buy because of the you ranks. can buy yeah. gambling, right? Because then you just yeah. have to put yeah. put more money yeah. into the to the sword machine to see mm-hmm. if you can get the thing that you want. Yeah, and so so we also wanted to essentially our our one of our design pillars that we're trying to lean into is this idea of of player expression and player choice that actually results in in meaningful differences in experiences and, and outcomes. Um, and so to that end, you know, we're also looking into instead of having all these randomized pieces of equipment to have authored items that are specifically for a thing, right? So you'd have like gear sets that are built around poison um, and you would sort of like upgrade those over time. Like if you choose to go down that track and it's not exclusive, it doesn't keep you from going back and like building a different kind of equipment set as well. Maybe like a, like a lightning one or a, you know, We've got all kinds of other weird stuff. I'm just kind of using references from the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so much in the same way that the tools uh, grow and upgrade over time, and then also become more diverse in their capabilities. Uh, you know, we're doing the same thing with the gadgets and the trinkets and the armor and the weapons and and all of that stuff. Um, so it, it it's the game definitely feels like it uh, it opens up and kind of like our goal is to have it so that it it feels like the game is reading your mind where if you if you start playing you're like oh i wish i had x and then a few minutes later the game is like here's a recipe for x and mm-hmm. you're like ooh, <laughs> yeah. uh, right so that's that's the thing that we're trying to hit um which is a big reason why we're putting so much investment into tooling so that we can author all of this content and, and deliver it so so that's as far as like um the tools progression and kind of how all that works as yeah. far as how we're going to unveil stuff over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about, I think about two that. ways. I think one is the podcast is for like the informal channel where kind of like Seth is so I'm here. It's just kind of like 
every if there's a question or something we want to address, then we you know the thing is the podcast audience is a smaller portion of the total uh, kind of broadcasted audience that we can reach with both the Ballyhoo as well as you know our Steam announcements and stuff like that. And the Ballyhoo so, is our newsletter. Yeah, the Ballyhoo's newsletter. And so the more I guess, I guess more official communications um, as far as content go, where our rough plan is about every four to six weeks to be sharing something about. Uh, about the game or about uh, kind of design intent, even like a deep dive on a particular creature or whatever else. And those are probably going to take a variety of formats, but they're generally going to be going through the newsletter system. So if you're not signed up for that, definitely get on that. They'll be posted as as blogs um, and then kind of just around, you know, in various channels and things like that. But but the formats will probably vary uh, quite a bit as we, because we're also just kind of experimenting with what kinds of content as well as what formats of content have good reach and resonance with people right so like our trailers always do very well for example because they're kind of they're just kind of dumb fun you know but they're also really heavy to put together so we don't want to necessarily have to spend all the time putting together a trailer every you know four to six weeks for a particular system even though the game's deep enough that we could and so it's kind of like how do you how do we take some of the ideas present in the game that are really fun or that have opportunity to resonate with people or be punched up with a little bit of humor and then either through just a simple written thing or a really quick goofy video of some sort that isn't hard to put together uh share a bit of that so i think largely if you're in the discord if you're on the newsletter uh you'll probably be able to see stuff about every four to six weeks um just little tidbits here and there about stuff we got going on yeah and like sam said i mean we, we don't necessarily know exactly what will resonate with people so we'll yep. probably try some things things like well, yeah, going like to be, be interested in a diversification, right? So, yeah. 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 And, and like, I, I'd be interested in, you know, doing a, a, a newsletter. It's like, oh yeah, like here's, here's how building works in yeah. Crashlands mm-hmm. 2. Like, and so it's interesting on its own, but then also if you played the first game, then you can kind of, you know, you'll be able Contrast. to, you'll, you'll clearly be able to spot the differences between yeah. how this works and how the first one yeah. worked. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it'd be fun for Crashlands 2 also to, to have some um more technical deep dives for the part of the audience who's into that kind of a thing you know um and, and that's that's part of what i mean too by diversifying it's not just like the format and that kind of stuff but also like it's kind of like we talked about a lot last and last week's episode was about about because i was we we're talking about community building right and like mm-hmm. and, and it's really getting to the idea that like there are just different groups of people right that for Care about that, that, stuff. that make up your audience that yeah, sure they maybe are all technically like your audience in some way or another but there's a lot of sort of non-overlapping domains. And mm-hmm. so like in our case, we've got original Crashlands players. Like what they're into is like, they already have tons of background knowledge about Crashlands, the franchise or the, mm-hmm. the IP, right? And so what they want to know is like, am I going to see these characters again? You know, like, am I going to, yeah. am I going to participate in these stories again? And how does this look compared to original Crashlands? And then yeah, we have people who never played Crashlands mm-hmm. who saw the trailer and they're like, oh, this looks really cool, right? But don't have any of that context. So they don't care about changes from OG mm-hmm. Crashlands. They just want to know what is this game like, right? And then we have our more uh, technical audience who's like either just fellow game developers or people who are into just how games are made and also Crashlands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for whom, like, being able to show some some stuff about, like, what our developer tools look like. And and, and Seth has some very fucking cool, like, in-game developer yeah. features to display stuff to you so you can get a sense of, like... And like, I think the, the build mode stuff is particularly cool because I think it's, like, a deep Just dive. Awesome. It looks really neat, but also it's a deep dive of, like, what are the problems related to this and why is it hard? When you turn the tooling on and, like, and are kind of walking through it, you get to actually visually see like the stuff that's hard and see it happening. 
Um, and I think it'll be really fun to be able to share that kind of stuff as well as like more uh, marketing-y like stuff targeted for. Yeah. Well, I think about players, like the, you know? the major communications we'll be doing are, will be more of the mass audience reach stuff, yeah. which is yep. about – it's more about the design or the experiential intent of these things, not the – not necessarily the kind of like – The how it works. Here's how – the sausage is made, you know, and then we might link to stuff like that in those moments as like a, if you want to learn more, Seth posted a blog about like the technical nonsense about this. Um, Yeah. Yes. We might do like occasionally like YouTube videos about the game changer or like Adam said about our developer tooling or our, our world editor that we made for, Crashes, you know, We've also just to like, kind of like talk about it. And yeah, a lot it. of the dev stuff, you know, from our experience is way more impactful when we do it post-launch because that's yeah. when other people are asking, how the fuck did you make that? Not before right. the game comes out, right? So that's that's nobody, always, yeah, nobody cares. How are you making this thing that I don't know about? Yep. Like, nobody <laughs> yeah, cares about it. <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of, there's kind of this cadence to content, I think, that's kind of interesting and in its own little puzzle to solve. And we'll be, we'll be doing some experiments, I think, in the next while to kind of just start poking yeah. out that and see what we can do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I hope that answers the question and that's all the time we have. We got, we got through three. I'm pretty, pretty, good. pretty proud. Pretty good. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DeCosta for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the butterscotch community. You can just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the discord, a way for you to donate and links to the archives. And as always, head over to uh, Steam and be sure to wishlist Crashlands 2. If you haven't done it yet, it helps uh, helps juice the numbers, mm-hmm. get that thing moving up the algorithm, and it uh, gets shown to more people and, uh, you know, it gets that Katamari ball rolling. Yep. So we appreciate that. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.